At that point, I was like, I'm done. I can't keep quiet anymore. So I made this video and just posted it on Instagram. And then from there, it's kind of escalated that the executive board realized that we're at risk of getting kicked out of the Olympics. Welcome to Flame Bears, the women athletes carrying Tokyo's torch. I'm your host, Jamie. In this episode, British weightlifter Sarah Davies shares how her unique combination of beauty and brawn shatter both stereotypes and records. Sarah's journey is about defying convention, whether it's in beauty pageantry or weightlifting. Across the world of sport and pageantry, Sarah is breaking unspoken rules of convention. An autocratic leader in charge of a dysfunctional organization. Just some of the ways Tamash Ayan was described in an investigation that exposed decades of corruption inside the World Weightlifting Federation, the IWF. We talk about what it's like being a female Olympic weightlifter and beauty pageant queen while taking on corrupt leadership inside the International Weightlifting Federation, the governing body for international weightlifting. We start with how she got into weightlifting, explore how her love for weightlifting and pageantry connect, and lastly, dive into her efforts to clean up the IWF as chair of the Athletes Commission. I'm Sarah Davis, and I'm a weightlifter for Great Britain. Um, my biggest achievements were I won the silver medal at the Commonwealth Games in 2018. I recently just won three silver medals at the European Championships um, and became our best ever female weightlifter on like a pound for pound basis. And um, I was actually the first ever British person, male or female, to win the European Under 23 Championships back in 2015. All that, and she's only 28 years old. While 5'4 is about an average height for a woman, lifting the amount she does is anything but average. When competing, Sarah lifts around 100 to 125 kilograms or 220 to 275 pounds, depending on the event, snatch or clean and jerk. I wanted to find out what got her pumping iron in the first place. So the thing with weightlifting is like, for me, it's kind of really easy to measure progress you're either lifting more weight or you're not. I don't train to look good, which obviously a lot of people do. Like they beat mm -hmm. themselves up in the gym. They hate going to the gym and because they, you know, they want to look better or whatever it is. But like, I enjoy what I do. It just happens that that then makes my body look good as a product of it. So yeah, it's definitely that, you know, ability to push myself and see what my body can achieve. Like you either lift the weight or you don't. While weightlifting may seem like an individual sport, According to Sarah, team dynamics are really important. I wondered how they come into play given the hyper-competitive nature of actually getting to Tokyo. In the 10 years that I've been lifting, that team dynamic has changed a lot. And like, we obviously share rooms when we go on training camps and we go away and to competitions and stuff. And, you know, we've got a lot of memories together. Good ones, bad ones, funny ones, sad ones. Like, it's, um, it's a 10-year friendship. It's nice now, though, to all be like a united team, whereas previously it was a little bit unstable. Three of us used to compete in the same weight class. So it was a very different dynamic six, seven years ago when we were all competing for the same spots on the national team to what it is now. So now we're all spread out across classes and, and we've grown up as well. Like, you know, 
we've all moved together and now to have you know four of us push in for for the Tokyo spot is is pretty special women supporting women is becoming increasingly common especially in spaces that are heavily male and i'd say it's about time but given that lifting has been so historically male dominated i was curious about the stereotype she faces as a woman weightlifter so when i started lifting like i got a lot of you shouldn't lift weights it makes you manly all of that kind of what you'd expect and I think generally it's got better because I think I don't know if it's just the circles that I move in but there's been that shift as well with social media and the kind of idolized women's figure and what what mm-hmm. is sexy these days has changed and I think it is more of a a muscular figure and you know it's not being sticks thin and all the rest of it and and having a Kim Kardashian bum which if you squat the weights that I squat you get the bum for the price of a gym membership rather than the price of a good surgeon but you know each to their own right <laughs> I don't know what people expect, but um I think they expect me to be like six foot two and shoulders like as wide as I am tall and all the rest of it. Um but I mean you think our smallest weight class is like 45 kilos, the smallest girls girls class. So that's what, like 90 pounds, if that. So yeah, weight lifters come in all sizes, and that's the definitely the biggest stereotype is you know, you don't look like a weightlifter. And then people definitely don't expect me to do pageants. It's not every day you meet someone who wears medals and sparkly crowns, but Sarah defies convention in both the weightlifting and pageantry worlds. Fun fact, Sarah actually put weightlifting down as a special talent when she entered her first beauty pageant, which she won. Ever since, the former Miss Intercontinental England has been combating another stereotype. What a pageant girl looks like. I competed in pageants originally to try and convince myself that I can be strong and beautiful and that you know because I'm still doing pageants I'm still beautiful even though I do weightlifting and that kind of you know like it was to kind of trick myself and then now I'm, I didn't actually win a national title until I was like I am strong and I am beautiful and I am who I am and that's when I went out there and just went out there and did me and that's when I won my national title people have the stereotype of what a pageant girl is as well like they expect this tall skinny blonde girl like which is definitely not the case anymore i mean some of your the big miss usa and uh, miss united states winners recently have been like the opposite people think pageants are just purely viewed on how you look but i'd say like 70% of most pageants is like your interview it's your charity work it's your community work they watch how you handle yourself around other people like even within the hotel like how you speak to hotel staff It's about being a role model. It's about you know putting yourself out there to make a difference in your community, to be a role model for young girls. And do you know what? You can be muscular and you can be strong and you can still be feminine. Sarah's best friend Stephanie encourages her in both weightlifting and pageantry, and shares that one of the keys to Sarah's success is her confidence. She just rocks it. You know, she's super confident. She gets all her you know her views and opinions out there. as well as looking wicked on stage and what's more sort of inspiring than somebody that's a businesswoman you know she's physically in amazing shape she does look different to the other pageant girls and i think that's what's great about it that she's got the confidence to do that you know a lot of them are very tall sort of a slim shape and quite different to Sarah and then she rocks up with this like you know olympic athlete body and you're like who is that girl and then actually she's got a voice as well and it's amazing and i think the uk pageant girls are 
very supportive of each other. It's not like this competitive environment. They're all very much building each other up. Someone else who's also been really supportive of Sarah is her former pageant director, Holly Peary, the director of Pageant Girl. What I try to aim to do with our organization is to say that we're all different and and that's a wonderful thing. Um, But We should be proud of our differences and we should be proud of what makes us who we are. Um, And so people could say, well, that's a contradiction in terms because what you're essentially doing is judging women and having them stood next to each other and saying, well, this is the best for that reason. Rather, it's the opposite in saying, this girl is different for this reason, but but be proud of it. Own your achievements uh, and celebrate them. You could be a size six or a size 14. It's, it's how they have that confidence, how, how they portray themselves. You know, you look at Sarah and she's a, such a fantastic role model to all girls and women and, and anyone who has a dream. Sarah isn't just changing the image of who can be a pageant queen or elite weightlifter. She's also seriously shaken things up in the International Weightlifting Federation, or IWF. To provide a 30,000-foot overview, the IWF has had decades of massive corruption and doping. And these issues have been going on for so long that they've become ingrained in the sport to a level where the leadership no longer feels accountable to change unless they're under pressure. And this has historically come from the International Olympic Committee, or IOC. To pressure the IWF to clean up their act, The IOC has been threatening to remove weightlifting from the Olympic program since 1988. So this isn't new. The IWF also resents and resists the IOC pressures and hopes to keep the ball in the air until after Tokyo and then try to finesse something with the next games in Paris. What's new is how Sarah is pushing back and fighting to make change from within the International Weightlifting Federation. She's the chair of the Athletes Commission. I'm chair of the Athletes Commission now for the IWF, so International Weightlifting Federation, which is why I've now got a vote on the executive board. After a lot of fight and a lot of calling people out, like I, I was pretty outspoken to a lot of people. Once again, Sarah's defying convention, this time by not letting issues she spots in the IWF slide. One such issue she's called out is around gender. Now, while at the elite levels, there's a 50-50 participation rate amongst men and women athletes, the sport has a long way to go in terms of leadership. Sarah is just one of two women that sit on the executive board that has been made up entirely of men for over 40 years. Weightlifting is quite new in terms of Olympics. So our first women's weightlifting was in 2000 in Sydney. So that's only like five Olympic cycles ago. I mean, it's one of the oldest Olympic sports when you look at the men's side of it, but for the women, it's one of the the newer sports. So, and that like filters all the way up as well. So we're now at a point that we've got a more equal participation rate. So when you look at our executive board, there's 22 members of the executive board and only two of them are female, myself being one of them, and I've only just got a vote. So yeah, we don't even hit 10% of our executive board being female in a sport that is 50-50. So yeah, it's definitely something that we need to change. And um, the thing that's ironic is we used to have a women's commission. That was the only commission that had a rule on gender. And the rule of the commission was that it had to have one man on the women's commission. I had to ask her to say that again before it sunk in. The only rule relating to gender at the IWF 
is that one man must sit on the women's committee. I asked Sarah how the executive board has treated her. They'd like stand up out of their chair and like tower over their camera to try and have this like big egotistical male chauvinist like attitude over men. Like that's what my issue is, is the attitude towards having women on the board. Not necessarily the fact that we've not got enough gender equality. Mm -hmm. It's the fact that the women that are there aren't listened to and aren't respected. It turns out that corruption and gender inequality are just the beginning and doesn't just affect weightlifting in the UK. We've had a lot of problems recently um, with anti-doping scandals and corruption within the sport. Someone who's working alongside Sarah to clean up the sport of weightlifting is Phil Andrews, CEO of Weightlifting USA. I asked him to catch us up to speed on the situation. As Sarah mentioned, it turns out that doping is also a huge issue within the sport. And the IWF leadership has just been looking the other way for decades. On January the 5th of 2020, ARD, which is the BBC or PBS public broadcast station of Germany, published a documentary which in English is called The Lord of the Lifters. That exposed a number of allegations at that time within the sport of weightlifting. So following that, the Oversight and Integrity Commission of the IWF was formed, which was the commission essentially authorized to look into the issues raised by ARD. That commission appointed Richard McLaren. Richard's best known for his work on the Russian doping scandal. Today, the World Anti-Doping Agency suspended Russia's sports drug testing lab. 99% of Russian athletes are guilty of doping. Richard reported back on June 4th. That report found 10.4 million missing dollars, over 40 manipulated or otherwise missing doping samples, evidence of corruption in voting practices, and evidence of essentially financial fraud within the IWF. Since then, there's been further issues in the way the IWF has been run by its current executive board. What the McGarren report really did was highlight we need good governance around our finances, around developing the sport in areas where it hasn't been developed. We need a better constitution, better bylaws, better controls. We need to bring in really good structured ways of ensuring that our sport is led by predominantly clean nations and critically we help nations who have relied on doping in the past to become clean nobody wants a nation out of the sport nobody wants banned nations nobody egypt are currently serving a suspension thailand are currently serving a suspension we want those nations to be there and compete against us we want them to do it clean and that's all we ask with so many nations under the needle I needed more scoop on this international scandal. So I sat down with someone who's been one of the most outspoken advocates against doping to find out how we got here. I'm Dick Pound. In, in real life, I'm a, a lawyer in Montreal, Canada. I'm now the senior active member of the International Olympic Committee. Mr. Pound was also an Olympian himself and the first president of the World Anti-Doping Agency, or WADA. 
WADA was founded with the aim of bringing consistency to anti-doping policies and regulations within sports organizations and governments across the world. Do you realize that, that something like 50 or 60 percent of our positive drug cases come from the sport? There were no rules in sport that made these performance-enhancing drugs a breach of the sport rules. There weren't any sport laws. And a subcommission was charged with figuring out what athletes were using and, and putting together a list of these things. And then, you know, sort of making them prohibited, mainly because of the danger to health. You know, what was happening is, is you know, if you were taking 10 milligrams and I found out you were taking 10 milligrams, I didn't take 10. I would take 20 because I wanted to beat you. I didn't want to be the same as you. All of a sudden, you get into this ratcheting up to levels of ingestion that are that are toxic and in some cases lethal. Steroids are in the DNA of weightlifting, and it's going to take some time to get them out. And if you have corrupt officials, we're prepared to say, uh, you know, Jamie, you tested positive for something, but we can fix that. You know, instead of a fine, if you 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 make a cash payment to, to me your beloved IF president, this will go away. So, I mean, it's, it's just, it's out of control. They can't seem to solve. They, they, either they can't or they don't want to, but we need to help them. So if we take them off the program for maybe two or three Olympic games to, you know, to help clean out the system, maybe we'll get there. The only thing that, that wakes these folks up is the fact that weightlifting may not be on the Olympic program. So how can one of the strongest weightlifters in the world take on gender inequality and fight corruption against a Goliath of an organization? By pressing record. Hey everyone, um, especially to my fellow weightlifting athletes. This video is not a video I ever hoped or I ever wished to record. I so I made this video and just posted it on Instagram, maybe just because I was annoyed. I was like, I need to get these words out. Before I knew it, my phone had blown up like it was all around the internet in weightlifting circles, even not in weightlifting circles. Like I had a bunch of people reach out to me from other sports that were like, we have the same problem. Like, well done to you for speaking out because like the problem had existed in weightlifting for such a long time, but people were too scared to say anything or didn't necessarily know the direction to take it. And, you know, I had the support from the IOC, so the Olympic International Olympic Committee. They got in touch with me and like, we support you, whatever you need. And then from there, it's kind of escalated that the executive board realized that we're at risk of getting kicked out of the Olympics. I put my face out there on social media and ended up being like the face of the whole movement, um, which sometimes I regret. Um, but it's kind of cool to be a part of and to really be seeing that change now in our sport, which is awesome. Given that Mr. Pound has been in a leadership position with the Olympic movement for almost 40 years, I figured he'd seen a lot of change. I asked him how we could tell if Sarah has been gaining traction. I mean, one of, one of the things, I mean, when I was doing WADA, one of the things uh, that gives you an idea of whether you're doing a good job is, is the identity of the people who hate you. If, if the weightlifting inner circle doesn't like you, it, it means you've turned over a rock that they never wanted uh, turned over. And, and, uh, and but that's what you're going to have to do. The one thing that scares these folks is, is bright sunlight. Given that Sarah is turning over lots of rocks and shining a very bright light on this organization, 
I asked her how the board's treatment of her has changed. So they're now quite nice to me, but they're nice to my face, but they don't really like me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're nice to me because they have to be nice to me, not particularly because they want to be nice want, to me. Yeah. yeah. Sarah is well aware that the people she's exposing aren't exactly people many like to get on the bad side of. Once again, she's doing what she thinks is right, even though she's going against the grain. I told her she's really brave. People keep telling me that, and I'm like, I just did it. Like, sometimes I've kind of, I think I'd like do, and then I don't think about the consequences. (laughs) Because then I went to Russia for the European Championships and was like, I might not come home. (laughs) Sarah clearly knows the risks of her actions, and in spite of them, she speaks against the current leadership. So how can this change, and is there hope? I sat down with someone who's a global expert on sports governance. My name is Spencer Harris, and I'm an associate professor of sport management, College of Business at the University of Colorado in Colorado Springs. I I think what we see, and this is rather dark and depressing, but what we see in the International Weightlifting Federation isn't really that surprising anymore. I mean, this, this is becoming more a reflection of what we see in international sport bodies. And I think one of the reasons we see it is kind of this notion of les sportiva which is, you know, autonomy, a principle, a guarded principle under the IOC's Olympic Charter, which gives sport and preserves sports right to govern itself. And I think we can say this with confidence. Sport can no longer be trusted to govern itself. But that principle is still held on to dearly by those in the sport system for obvious reasons. There are lots of interests there why they would want to preserve the notion of autonomy, But when you have a system like sport that has very little external oversight, it has very little independence. So this is like a a big old old guys network. And at the same time, you have this ridiculous conflict of interest where this family, this extended family, not only are responsible for regulating their sports and making sure that sport is safe and making sure that sport is clean, they're also responsible for promoting sport. And therefore, you know, kind of leveraging the brands, polishing the brands, and looking to, to secure as, as much revenue as they possibly can. You know, bad news, bad stories often will get swept under the rug in the interests of brand equity and protecting mm-hmm. the brand. It's about impression management. It's about perceptions. I think to really create disruption in sport, there has to be something that gets the fans and there has to be something that gets the sponsors and the broadcasters because they are the sites of disruption. They are where real change will happen. Because if those folk get unhappy and displeased, that will force change in the system. I think it will be really interesting to see what happens between athletes and the administrators over the next few years. But I don't think athletes have the power to bring change. The fans, the sponsors, and the broadcasters, they absolutely do. So what does this all mean for an athlete like Sarah who's just trying to compete and lead the IWF with integrity. I think for an athlete like Sarah, many like her around the world, now is a time for the first time where it feels like there's a chance for them to have their voice heard, but also that anti-doping is being done by an independent third party and therefore at least feels like it's being done better. It feels like there's a chance for the athlete 
to be put at the center of what we do and backed by nations. There's about 16 nations who've put forward proposals for our upcoming constitutional congress, which align with athletes being at the heart of what we do. It gets really boring, by the way, when you watch an empty platform, an empty track in track and field, or an empty beam in, in gymnastics. The athletes are kind of what we do. They're kind of what we're here for. It gets really, really tiresome just watching empty equipment. There's a chance here, as Sarah put it this morning, Sydney, to make history. And she is being that real voice for athletes. We're in a realistic point of view where we might not be in Paris 2024. The athletes that I coach and the, my teammates that are up and coming, like that won't go to this Olympics, I'm like, you deserve an Olympic Games and it shouldn't be ruined by the dinosaurs that have run our sport for the last 40 years just because it's been run that way. Like, you know, speak up and then, you know, it might be scary, but you'll be surprised the amount of people that support you in your journey on the process. Be brave and stand up for what you believe in because if you're not going to do it, who is going to do it? And then we're all just going to stay stagnant and we're not going to see the world move forwards. As we near Tokyo, I asked Mr. Andrews about his hopes. So I'm hoping to see a podium we can be proud of in the Olympics. I'm me. In the last three Olympic Games, there's not been an Olympic Games where the podium that you see, where the medals are put around the athlete's neck, remains the podium. What I'm saying is we've had medalists who are dopers, whose medals have been reallocated for doping reasons. In other words, I want to believe what I'm seeing. Though the future of weightlifting at the Olympics after Tokyo is still uncertain, Sarah Davies remains a positive force for change, whether it's behind a sash, under the bar, or at the boardroom table. She offers us this bit of advice, regardless of what walk of life we come from. Do what you want to do, like, for yourself. Don't do it because you think somebody else wants to do it or... or don't stop doing it because people want you to stop doing it. You know, there's times where, you know, people would have liked me to have stopped weightlifting or stopped pageants or whatever it was, or, you know, life circumstances. Like I question myself whether to, to keep doing weightlifting or not. So whatever you do, do it for you and do it with full conviction because you don't want to live with regrets. As Sarah raises the bar at the IWF, we can all check in with ourselves to make sure we're raising our own bars as well. Definitely won't be lifting the same amounts, but we each have our own loads. Thank you for tuning in to Flame Bears, the women athletes carrying Tokyo's torch. For more behind-the-scenes coverage, follow us on Instagram and Facebook by searching for Flame Bears. If you haven't seen it yet, check out Sarah's viral video on Instagram about the IWF. Our Flame Bearers social handles will be resharing her message across our platforms. This episode was made possible by Phil Andrews. Thank you. Professor Harris called out the power of fans to help put pressure on the IWF. Check out our social accounts across Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter for specific calls to actions or recommendations for how you can help fuel the fire. If you missed last week's episode with Olympic rower, Carlotta Noagidi, she discusses the implications of race and what it means to be a black female rower in a predominantly white sport. She also talks about how rowing in the outdoors birthed the passion for environmentalism and how her German team is combating the climate crisis. Massive thank you to my teammate Hayek Serato for your awesome help. 
thank you to new mentor Emma Minto and as always to my Harvard iLab guru and mentor Dino Catano. Lastly, thank you to the Harvard Kennedy School for your ongoing support. We'll catch you on our next episode.